Welcome to Add Tension, a podcast from the American Advertising Federation, District 10. My name is Ray Shillins. Conversations with the people in our industry who make advertising and marketing impactful and relevant. Our stories take you behind the scenes on a variety of advertising platforms where we explore current trends and topics. AAF District 10 promotes professional development and networking, recognizes advertising excellence, provides news and resources, helps develop future industry leaders, and promotes the value of ethical and transparent advertising. And you can find out more about AAF District 10 and this podcast at aaf10.org. That's aaf the number 10.org. Brought together by their passions for science and entrepreneurial aspirations. What a start of a sentence that is. Stackadat founders founded one of the most uh, disruptive advertising platforms in 2013 under their leadership and vision. Stackadapt is more than an advertising platform. And that's important. It's a hub of innovation, imagination, and creativity. As one of the fastest-growing tech startups in Toronto, Stackadapt has doubled in size in the last year and continues to expand. Stackadapt is involved in native advertising, display, video, and connected TV. And we are so happy to be able to sit down here for just a bit and talk with Jason LaRonde, account director for Stackadapt. Jason is instrumental in the process of client relationships, campaign strategies, and many other things in relation to programmatic advertising. Hey, Jason, in Toronto, all the way uh, up in uh, Toronto. It's good to have you here today. Thanks for being here, man. Yeah, thanks, Ray, for uh, sending over the great intro there, and excited to be here today. You know, we wanted to talk a little bit. Uh, Carter had uh, recommended, Carter Campbell had recommended that we talk a little bit about uh, uh, the click-through rate, or CTR, and uh, we'll be uh, that'll be the, the topic that is centric to our conversation today. Uh, looking into the uh, metrics that make the most sense for performance. <laughs> to me, that's such a relevant thing today. Um, it, it, it's so driven from a client perspective. So it sounds to me like Stap- Stack Adapt arrived at the right time with the right stuff. And it sounds like you guys are shaking up the uh, the industry there. So good for you. And, and we, we need more of that shaken up type stuff, you know, shake and bake kind of a thing. So one thing, one, one thing I wanted to ask is, how did uh, let's talk first about Stack Adapt. How did Stack Adapt, uh, Stack Adapt come about? Uh, where did it, uh, where did it come from? Yeah, it's a great question, and it is uh, kind of a tough word to say sometimes, especially when you're talking fast. <laughs> uh, it was actually founded as the name Collective Role, and then uh, that one didn't roll off the tongue too, too well, so they changed to Stack Adapt. But founded in 2013, so about seven. Seven years ago now, uh, three of our founders, two of them came from an agency background, and kind of what you already said, they were looking at the industry and they were buying media that they didn't really feel was too confident in, in the safety of it and the quality of it, and they decided, the entrepreneurs they were, to make their own company. And uh, they brought on a third uh, tech member, who was our CTO, Yang, to build up the platform. It was actually founded as a native-only uh, supply-side platform, so... Uh, you know, making partnerships with publishers to allow people to buy these ads online. And they decided to pivot a little bit and become what's known as today a demand-side platform. So it's tapping into multiple different supply sources and allow you to buy, you know, native display, video, CTV across a variety of different publishers. And that's kind of where we've evolved to today. Yeah. You know, we're 220 employees strong. You already mentioned it, growing double year over year and looking to expand quite frequently now. So it's been a great ride. I've been here for 
just over two and a half years now mm. and uh, seen it grow from a very, very small company. And it's exciting. It's uh, the, the, the term is a rocket ship where you start you know, a little slow and then you're just accelerating through. And as you mentioned, we're focusing a lot past a CTR and looking at some of the other metrics in the industry and making sure our, our clients can have everything they need to make a conscious decision in their marketing role. You know, Stack Adapt is a necessity, I believe, in, uh, in advertising. I, I think that uh, uh, it becomes very relevant and necessary that people uh, uh, respond, use, and uh, take advantage of uh, the qualifications of Stack Adapt. In your mind, why is uh, why is Stack Adapt so uh, relevant today? Yeah, it's a it's actually a great question, especially in the market today where it's pretty saturated. You think of some of the big names out there: Google, Facebook, Twitter, Trade Desk, kind of a direct competitor of ours. There's a lot of names and a lot of places to spend your money, uh, especially online. Uh, it started, you know, back in 1994. Uh, which is when I think the first banner ad was placed. And fast forward today, we're a $50 billion industry for digital display ads across many different formats. Uh, it really comes down to the place of, you know, why would you choose Stack Adapt and why would you choose to, you know, funnel money through us? And there's a very, very few different reasons for that. Uh, I really find that a lot of the times with our platform, you can get a few things that you can't get in other platforms, but it comes down to our client-focused approach. Uh, we don't look at every single campaign as the same. It's not a one-size-fit-all industry where you have to continually test different things and come more of a strategic approach. So rather than relying on CTR or CPM or whatever the standard is for the past 20 years, um, I ask my clients and most of our account executives do the same thing. Tell me your marketing goals. What do you really want to get? End of the day, it's always ROI, <laughs> um, yeah. but we really want to make sure that whatever the uh, the beginning goal is, we can make our campaigns work for you, whether that be getting people to know who your brand is, getting conversation, getting people talking about your brand, engaging with certain content you've written, sign-ups, purchases, whatever it is, we have the data and tools in place to make sure we can optimize your campaign for that specific metric. So we have the tools and the systems built up already, that a lot of other providers do as well, but we make sure it's focused exactly on your desired goals and making sure that's gonna matter most to you at the end of the day. So I feel like that's the big reason why a lot of our clients use us at the end of the day. It's because they rely on our strategic approach. We see a lot of things come through our platform. We can apply that to you know what you're coming towards us with. So it might not be always CTR, it might be a few other things there as well, but because we all have that conversation and have that first little expert opinion there. We consider ourselves partners of our clients and not just a, a platform for the use. Providing that strategic approach is what I think are our biggest drivers. What uh, what brought you into this uh, segment of our industry, Jason? Where did you come from? <laughs> it's actually a great question. It's a funny one. I uh, At a school, I was looking for a job, and uh, I was actually in school for consumer behavior. So looking at marketing as kind of a sociology side of things. So I always thought I'd be in marketing uh, and I, advertising always interested me. But my first job out of school was actually at a food broker, uh, which no one really knows what it is, but think of insurance just for food. We brokered uh, suppliers to end users, which would be restaurants or uh, cafeterias, et cetera. And I was a creative marketing coordinator, which really meant I did everything that I could to make sure that our assets were in place and, uh, making sure everything was working well. Hmm. 
within that industry and in that job, I actually started playing around with Google Ads a little bit for some of our clients. And a couple of them were tea brands and tortillas and stuff like that. And as soon as I started playing with it, I was hooked. I was like, this is cool. This is fun. Like, I can do some crazy things. Like, I was looking at them. Like, I can make people like our food better than the other competitor. Like, this is great. I can just sort of spend two bucks to do it. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I kind of reached the pinnacle of that job. You can only do so much in, in a small company like that. And uh, I really want to learn more. And I actually applied to a job that was an ad server and DSP up here in Canada, a company actually called iReturn Marketing, which I give a lot of credit to. They taught me a ton about the industry. And I started there as an analyst, uh, really running campaigns from the nitty gritty and learning from the bare bones and understanding how the technology worked, understanding how, you know, an impression or an ad came from the actual server itself to the person's page on CNN or what have you. And that was instrumental in how I came to be a little more knowledgeable about the industry and understand more about the technical back of it. And since we're ever evolving, we're always understanding what's new and what's introduced by different companies. It's just an amazing space to be in. Everything changes every day. So I was kind of hooked from there and Stacked up, came knocking. I've uh, actually was in a sales role. I evolved from that analyst role to sales at uh, my previous company, and I came up against an RFP against StackAdapt. And uh, I'm like, oh, we're gonna crush these guys. Never heard of them before. And I actually <laughs> lost, uh, which is just like, oh, that kind of sucks. And yeah. uh, Richard Jones, who's our our CRO, a really good friend of mine, reached out to me and. Uh, poached me and just basically said, hey, let's have a conversation. And a lot of things he said about the company is what I agreed with as a professional and personal level. And I uh, decided to jump on the ship there. I actually went up to that account executive who beat me in the RFP and I asked him, you know, what went differently? What did you do that I didn't do? And he just says, man, I just showed them our audience segments, kind of had a nice little personalized approach to that, and then just showed them the demo of the platform. And that sold them right then and there. Uh-huh. And I tied it back to what I did at uh, my previous company, and it wasn't even close to the personalization that that rep did to the to the, uh, to the client. And that's where I've kind of driven myself towards is personalizing it, making sure it's exactly customized for what they're looking for. And I've seen a little bit of success because of that. So long story short, started from the bottom, and now we're here. I love it. You're it's kind of a culinary psychologist. The company wasn't Cisco, was it, that you worked with or no? Uh, you nailed it. Cisco and that GFF, uh, which is Gordon Food Services, wow. were the two big ones that I, I worked with a lot. Reason, reason I say that we uh, we have also worked with uh, with Cisco in a marketing aspect, um, uh, and had a lot of fun doing it for several years. I've been to one too many food shows, though. Okay. Oh uh, yeah. Just saying that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's Those are some long that. days. <laughs> <laughs> long days and you can get a lot of snacks and i think you add a few pounds onto the waistline after the end of them but they're always a blast you you hit you hit the nail on the head the payoff is the food it's a good thing so we're talking <laughs> yeah, about <absolutely>. we're talking <laughs> about click through and going past click through or ctr let's uh for those who uh, really uh, don't fully understand click through and i think it's important that to, to base our discussion on going beyond it we need to understand exactly from your mouth to our ears, uh, what is a click-through rate anyway? Yeah. You know, as marketers, we absolutely love our acronyms. I think we have over hundreds of them, um, click-through rate, CTR, which we'll use interchangeably today. Um, really, at the end of the day, it's the number of times that click is made on an ad divided by the number of times the ad is served, or we call it impressions. 
So it's expressed as a percentage. So 100, 100 people see your ad and 10 people click, so you have a 10% CTR. Uh, really, that's the basic understanding of it. Uh, it goes way back, I already mentioned already, to 1994, which was that first reported case of CTR. Um, for people referencing this, AT&T was the first one who actually put that ad there and the first banner ad there. They actually had a 44% CTR. Wow. Um, fast forward today, we're looking at closer to 0.1% CTR as a success. Wow. Wow. That's a big, that's a big adaptation, <laughs> a big change. And you're blowing my mind saying 1994. Holy cow. Uh, things were different back then. What, why do, uh, why do, uh, Click-through rates uh, really matter. I mean, there's the one obvious you mentioned, the ROI, stuff like that. But that, I would assume that that would be the the, the direct benefit of a, of a click-through rate, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny going back to 1994. If you remember those web pages back in the day, they were just ugly, clunky, just these things that were pasted on webs. And uh, mm -hmm. the first banner ad was a, this bright... Uh, I think I, I probably should send you the picture, but it was bright, loud, and everyone's like, what is this kind of thing? And they yeah. didn't really understand it was advertising. And that's why, you know, every second person clicked on the ad is because, like, what is this interesting thing? And uh, it just boomed from there um, to the point where everybody thought it was the best new thing. And, you know, it's now been 25 or so years since that first ad went up there. And you see some crazy things now, right? Where you'll see. Uh, ads that are interactive, you'll see AR type of ads. Your ads are now on your phone. And they're everywhere now. Yeah. So it gets to the point where people have just seen it and they've understood that it's a thing in the world and they understand that you know ads are a part of the uh, internet experience now. And it's the best way to keep the internet free, uh, allowing these companies to put their message out there for you to potentially click on to make sure you can still access what you're seeing uh, today as you were years back there. Um, the reason why I think it's becoming so low nowadays is that uh, really at the end of the day, people are just getting tired of ads. And, uh, you know, we're so inundated with ads, whether that be on TV, desktop, mobile, on, you know, even video games now have ads. And um, a lot of people just are just getting tired of it. And they're not really that personalized to them. Uh, a lot of times people talk about uh, interactions with their ads and trying to get people to be interested in that. But, you know, there's not too much innovation in the, this, the uh, standard there. Desktop ads and display ads have a very set standard approach where they're a certain pixel length, uh, they're a certain size, and you can't be much bigger than that. Which is why the conversation has kind of shifted towards more of a native advertising, which matches the look and feel of a publisher's site. Think of Facebook and Instagram. They're the forefront of native ads their advertisements look almost identical to the other content you're looking at. Mm -hmm. If you're scrolling on Instagram, you don't really know it's an ad until you see that sponsored uh, little tiny tag there. So I feel like the everyone's kind of pivoted towards that, and that's why CTRs have dropped a little bit, because people know those are ads on the side of a page. They don't really have to click on them because they're focused on their content, mm -hmm. but Native has kind of disrupted that a little bit by putting the ads exactly where they're scrolling, exactly where they're looking for, and you already mentioned it in our little intro there. That's why StackUp kind of found a nice little niche there, that our ads match look and feel. They don't really look like ads, and they're personalized towards the end user. So that's why they want to click on them a little bit more. Uh, and they're actually generating a little bit more better performance there 
because they're not coming off as intrusive ads. They're coming off as related content that they might actually like. Yeah. You know, I just recently uh, did um, a search for uh, new eyeglasses uh, for frames specifically. And I went to uh, one company called Frames Direct, just looking. Uh, didn't use them. I ended up using Warby Parker, uh, which is a phenomenal uh, place, by the way. Um, Absolutely. And, uh, but Warby now has... It's it's odd. I know I'm being followed. Frames Direct is following me now, thinking that have I made up my mind yet? I can't do anything about that. Wherever I go, there I see Frames Direct, and the same thing with Warby Parker. That's appearing everywhere. But ironically, I've already made the purchase. Um, might want to uh, think Warby Parker about maybe something else besides selling me more glasses, considering the fact that I just bought a whole bunch of glasses from you. But the, but you know obviously that 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 transcends all social media whether it be uh, YouTube or, or or you know catching uh, catching news on the uh, you know for like a CNN or whatever I'm getting hit 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 all the time I don't mind it I understand the concept is there is there something that is on the horizon beyond the the um, smoothing out the commercial cell and making more of a personal cell. Is there something headed our way as it relates to these ads uh, that is going to be even more compelling and possibly even jump that click-through uh, click rate up again? Yeah, it's a great question. And the technique you brought up there is retargeting. Uh, it's been a technique for many, many years, and it's a proven tactic where Someone's been to your site, they're probably pretty interested in what you're offering there. So you might want to send as many ads as possible to that person to get them the potential to click there. And it's what our industry has rallied around for a long time. And to, to a certain extent, it is great. But as you mentioned, it kind of gets exhausting. And you want to make sure you're not annoying a person to the point where it's like, okay, like, I don't want this anymore. They're, they're, they're too aggressive. Yeah. It almost relates to sales tactics, right? When you're back to being a business development rep, and you're emailing, cold calling, and doing all those things to get a demo call or whatever it might be, you don't want to annoy your end person. You just want to get them to open the conversation there. So too many never works. Too little, they forget about you. So you need to find that nice little sweet spot. There's never been a perfect answer for that because every person's different there, but there's always been best practices we have done and you know, limiting the exposure of that ad to you on a certain time basis, whether that be minutes, hours, or days, is obviously the most powerful feature there, to the point where you're not being harassed by Warwick Parker, but you're being reminded about them. It's like, hey, you bought our glasses, but we have this new product coming out or a new promotion coming out that might be of interest to you, right? Yeah. And oh, you yeah. think about it, they're looking down to about, if we go back to that click-through rate example, they're only caring about less than 1% of the people they're sending their ads to, and they're getting a return on their investment anyways. Because... Yeah. Yeah. The ad impression themselves, you know, we buy on what's called a cost per thousand impressions model, which I'll talk about in a little bit as well as why I think that's a little bit broken. But the methodology of that is you just pay for an impression. And the CPM, the, the terminology for it, is usually less than four or five dollars. So for a thousand impressions, you're paying less than five dollars. That's my there. Yeah. It's insanely cheap methodology, and that's kind of how we've been able to, you know, spend so much money. It's kind of like a shotgun approach because you're then just sending as many ads as possible. If one person out of those five thousand people click on your ad, that's a success for you, and you've actually made your money back tenfold. Yeah. Especially for a product like Wolverine Parker, uh, and their glasses can cost upwards of two, three, four hundred dollars. 
So in their case, they're just really looking to get as many people as possible. And direct-to-consumer brands have been doing that through Facebook and Instagram the past few years now and seeing very, very good success there Uh, just because people are in kind of a shopping mood and they're able to buy directly from, you know, two clicks or so. And that's kind of how these DTC brands have seen success there. Personally, for me, you're totally on the, the number there with making sure your ad itself is engaging towards the customer. We at StackUp do what's called, you know, stuff like dynamic retargeting, which takes the last interactive product or service they interact with on your site and actually putting it into the ad itself there, right? Making sure it's exactly what the person looks at. Like, hey, you're interested in this? Just a reminder that this is available. And you might throw in a promo code after that too. 10% off if you buy right now. Stuff like that's going to incentivize people to actually purchase and it's going to be the way to get them to actually convert at the end of the day. Can you have too high of a CTR? And if you do, why would that be a bad thing? Well, yeah, this is always a fun one. Um, we at Stack it Up actually have a uh, transparent domain report. So if you jump into our platform and you're curious about you know, where your ad is actually served on, we show you every single domain down to one impression or so. Typically with this, uh, we look at desktop, mobile, and in-app traffic. And unfortunately, in-app has been uh, a little bit under the radar a little bit, especially with app fraud. But if you look at certain apps, you might see a CTR of like 9%. And it's just like, whew, that looks really good at first glance. But if you actually dive into that, you know, the person, or sorry, the uh, clicks on the actual ad have only spent one second on site. Um, They might have just clicked accidentally. It could be a click farm. There's tons of way ad fraud comes into play. And that's the unfortunate part of the industry is that you can actually bid on certain exchanges or certain domains or apps that have unfortunate ad fraud traffic. Now, those CTRs are sometimes too high. So when you look at upwards of 5 6 7%, you always got to take that with a grain of salt and look, okay, so is this either working incredibly well or am I just getting you know fraudulent traffic there? Stack it up uh, does a few different things here to make sure we're actually bidding on the right inventory. And we partner with a few industry leaders in the fraud prevention area to make sure it's not going to be a thing there. But a lot of times you're right. Any high CTR always is a little bit of a risk for fraud. Um, and there's so many ways to do it now. The the way to look at it is that ad fraud always follows the money. Right back in the day when desktop display advertising was a thing and a lot of people were spending money on there, fraudsters saw an opportunity for them to make a quick buck and get out. And that's what happened. When in-app traffic came into play, they saw even more opportunity to win money and they did the exact same thing. Uh, BuzzFeed News actually did a big uh, investigation, uh, I think it's about a year or so ago now, into some of the top 40 apps that were actually, unfortunately, a victim of ad fraud. And uh, $6 billion of ad revenue was unfortunately spent on these fraudulent traffic. And the reason why people weren't able to identify is because they were so focused on CTR and saying, hey, we're getting a 5% CTR from this. Let's go. This is perfect. This yeah. is great for us. So at the end of the day, too high is definitely a flag for concern. But there's a lot of good tools out there, a lot of good companies that are doing a great job at identifying you know, fraudulent traffic and how to block it there. So yes, it is definitely a little bit too high, but we can always do a few things on our side to make sure it's not fraudulent. Is CTR a standalone concept or is it used in conjunction with uh, with other media? You know, when you talk about uh, traditional uh, versus uh, digital advertising and such, is it, is it a combination of, of uh, all of the above? 
yeah, it really um, it just came into fruition with digital advertising. The fact that uh, we have so many tools and programs and platforms nowadays that allow us to track a number of different things, it became to the point where a marketer was able to say, you know, this person saw your ad, clicked on it, and did this action on site, and marketers saw that and were able to identify an ROI to their marketing dollars yeah. and were able to start driving home so much for their, their marketing brands, their marketing budgets, and really get much more ROI for their own clients. Think of a traditional back in the day, and even today, radio, um, linear TV, out of home, you really didn't have any metrics to look at. You had the standard, like GRP through Nielsen or whatever it might be, that you can then optimize your campaign to. But when programmatic and digital advertising came into fruition, marketers saw an ability to make sure their campaigns were hyper-targeted and hyper-performing. And again, this goes back to even 2012 or so, when uh, Nielsen even put out a study of a correlation between click-through rates and offline ROIs and didn't see any performance or any correlation there. But it really became a starting point to saying to marketers, what else can we track and what else can we do online with our advertising efforts to then prove that this is actually having an uh, impact on our bottom line? Yeah. Think about it. The only reason why we're spending money online is because at the end of the day, it's going to have a positive impact on the company's uh, revenue or a positive impact on... Uh, just any kind of investment opportunity for them. And being able to attribute whatever performance towards that was what uh, digital advertising came into play. And CTR is the obvious choice for that. They were able to say, well, at this point, CTR is the only metric you can look at, and it's showing people are getting to our site, and there's some conversion rates. So they're saying, yeah, there's some kind of correlation there, but there wasn't really any causation. And causation basically meaning that the actual impact of metric A had a positive impact in metric B. And yeah. with CTR, you just got people to cite and then nothing else happened there. The sure, they might be lucky if somebody actually converts on your site there, but really we're getting to the same mistake what happened in the first place that we're just putting too much emphasis on that CTR, not putting much emphasis on other performance that might make more sense for the client there. And that's kind of what we at Slack have been trying to talk a little bit about. And we have a few different products that at least highlight that um, and making sure that it makes sense for you at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, you know, you talk uh, as it relates to Stack Adapt, you've got native, display, video, and the connected TV. Talk a bit about those attributes of the company and how they're working for you. Yeah, and it's a uh, it's a fun project um, because CTV especially has been pretty new to the industry. Um, and you know what's even funnier is that you actually came and click on the CTV ad, so this whole CTR conversation kind of goes out the window when we bring up that conversation there. Wow. Um, but with native display and, and video, there's always that action to get them to your site. And working in conjunction with those three has been pretty powerful, right? You can tell a whole marketing story just in our platform itself where you have a branding video talking about your your uh, your mission and your goals of a company and then start sending those same users ads for display to talk about your offer, native to kind of send them to a blog post. And now you can extend that to cord cutters who are now you know, losing their cable subscriptions and going to more connected TV devices, whether that be Hulu or Roku or whatever the publishers out there, you can then all track them across each different format and then target them with certain things. So many cool things to do. And 
it, it kind of brings up the conversation about privacy and whatnot, which is a whole other podcast in and of itself. <laughs> really? But the, the ability of digital is to be able to track that user across multiple touch points to see, okay, from the start to the very end of the funnel, and the funnel being awareness, engage with, disrupt them, and then also get them to convert, where do we play a part and how effective were we at that part there? So when Stack Adapt, we're able to identify across device how this user started with and how this user ended with your actual entire marketing journey. And it's my favorite thing to say, okay, we actually hit them at the beginning when they were deeming nobody a company and we hit them at the end when you actually had them as kind of a converting customer there. And having that whole story allows us to then identify the effectiveness of each channel and their desired part of the funnel. And also, what else did we do there? Did we you know, get good awareness in your brand. Are people actually engaging with your content on site? Are they just purchasing and then leaving? Are they never buying again? Are they one-time buyers? A lot of cool data and tools that we have nowadays to optimize each campaign to that specific metric that matter most. And we can use them every single for, for every single campaign at every single time. It, it sounds like you've uh, locked onto something really good. Also solved a ton of problems uh, uh, and kind of demystified uh, the advertising process, and that's a big benefit for advertisers, clients, and agencies, and everything. Uh, how, now, am I understanding correctly? Looking into your Stack Adapt um, um, offerings, is this also a DIY endeavor for clients, or is this something that is uh, that is offered and controlled through you guys, or is it DIY? Yeah, it's actually a great question, and. Uh... And we can actually walk back a little bit too. And back in the day, a lot of these platforms didn't have a user face that uh, was pleasing to clients. And they had a lot of training with them and a lot of red tape. And they couldn't really make it work back then. So they all worked on what's called a managed service, where you would send an insertion order or a specific media buy to a company, and they would execute on your behalf. You would then get back reports in Excel or PowerPoint slide. You need to trust my face value that this is actually what happened and this is you operate in my best interest. At Stack It Up, we do offer a DIY feature in our platform, which is you can jump in, set up a credit card, set up your campaign, your creative, your targeting within 30 minutes to an hour and get started right away. We also do a lot of training within that. We do some kind of module programs. We have an academy course and quick start guides, all that fun stuff to make sure you get the best bang for your buck and get the best experience on the platform there. But we give the power of the advertising into the actual advertiser. We want to make sure that if you're using the platform, let's say like Facebook or Google Ads or whoever else might be out there, that is also the same experience for programmatic advertising. We're coming to a point in time where it's not this big, complicated, and scary industry anymore as much as we try to make it sound like that, but it's very accessible where people are, can now have courses in university that talk specifically about online advertising. And we want to make sure it's a very accessible platform and we demystify the fact that it's not that actually that hard. There's a lot of scary things there and you can get pretty advanced, but it can also be a very easy and pleasant experience for you to start learning. So we do actually do both. We do both a self-service model where clients can jump into the platform operate as they see fit and kind of spend as they uh, need to. Or we offer managed service as well, where if a client gets too busy, which we understand everyone does, you know, you look at your email inbox and you have 40 inboxes before, or 40 emails uh, before the uh, midpoint of the day, you might not have enough time to dedicate towards your programmatic campaigns. And that's where we jump in and we can help out there. Oh. But you still have the exact same access you would 
if you are a self-serve user. Mm-hmm. So you can see everything that's going on. You can see the change history. You can see that we're actually making decent changes and we're actually caring about the end client there. We don't actually lock our clients into contracts, which is a unique thing these days, which is kind of sad to say, but we don't make them tie a minimum spend. We don't make them sign anything to use our platform. We want to make sure the performance of the platform is the reason why our clients ultimately stay. And that's what leads to a good experience, I think, because they don't feel like they're having to reach a 100K a month spend just to have access to this. It's very accessible, very user-friendly. And then the day, it's because the performance is the reason why you stay. I love the change of landscape. What a great idea, and you guys are doing a great job at that as well. You know, I don't know whether you agree with this or not, but I'm, I'm thinking that advertising isn't as much Madison Avenue as it uh, used to be, okay? It's uh, much different than, uh, than what uh, was portrayed in places like Mad Men and such like that. Is, is the change in advertising or the approach to advertising, do you think that's a generational change or is it a technological change or maybe a combination of both? What do you think about that, Jason? Yeah, and I love how you brought up Mad Men. It's absolutely great show to watch if you're in advertising because you can relate a lot of what they talked about. And uh, some of the companies they talked about in that show still exist today, like OMD and uh, McCann, still are really big agencies these days. Sure they are. Um, Talking about the change, I think you're right. It's both. uh, We are having a more accessible technology that plays right into the millennials' uh, realm, where millennials grew up with technology. They understand how technology works. They're able to kind of get anything set up relatively quickly. And if they can't, they know how to find out how to learn about it and they can do it their own. Back in the day, Madison Avenue was all kind of red tape and you only had to rely on the uh, the, the men in the, the 40th floor to kind of run everything for you. And now we actually trust multi-million dollar budgets with 21-year-olds, media buyers that are, um, you know, no better than the people up in, in the 40th floor. So it's been both. The generation change has definitely been a positive impact as well because we have more insight into what ultimately people convert on. And then the technology has allowed us to track all that as well. And we're able to then see, you know, what impact this advertising effort actually had. And, you know, the traditional side of things are turning digital now. There's digital out of home advertising um, to be able to then track that user who saw that digital out of home ad online, et cetera, if they actually went to your site afterwards. CTV is kind of the evolution of linear TV, and radio is kind of evolving into that Spotify, Pandora atmosphere where you can then track even there as well. So the technology has been constantly evolving to the point where everything has a attributable KPI towards it, and having a young generation come in who understands that technology and able to make some cool shit with it allows us to make some really interesting things and allows that industry to be more accessible to people. So definitely evolved since the Madison Avenue days. I'm actually really excited that, you know, when I'm talking to a uh, up-and-coming university class who are just so interested in advertising, working at Google, working at Facebook, or whatever it might be, and they just, you know, have wide eyes, and they're just, like, so excited to learn about it. And it really makes me a little bit happy that this industry is going to be well taken care of, you know, in the next 10, 20, 30 years, because we have a lot of bright minds coming up to be able to disrupt industry. And, you know, we've already seen the first major disruption, which was the programmatic and digital um, atmosphere. So now I'm very excited to see what comes next. Yeah, and one of my questions, you actually answered it, but I was going to say, what excites you most about what you're doing right now today? And it sounds like uh, you love 
teaching and talking about what you do and, and looking at uh, what the future holds. Is that a good statement? Yeah, absolutely. I actually, uh, we, we at StackUp do a weekly uh, called Stack at University. It's just an internal meeting that's held every single week and it's been held for over the past three years. Um, that's a standing learning opportunity where we either have people in the company talk about a certain feature set they want to talk about, or we even bring in outside counsel that wants to talk about their solution and their product and what they're doing to disrupt the industry. So it's a great time to learn and kind of continually learn yourself. Me personally, I absolutely love um, this industry and I love what's coming out there. There's a lot of cool things that I try to keep up to date on every single day that even Stack has come up with and some cool things that we do that um, I think are trying to turn the needle there as well. But because the industry is so, so saturated and there's so many industry or so many uh, companies in this industry, but there's always going to be new innovations coming out and there's going to be a lot of cool trends coming out there to make marketing a little bit easier and a little bit more better. And, you know, COVID-19 aside has always been a, made a big impact in the industry, but we're starting to see, you know, how people are responding towards that now and how they're actually moving past that. Um, for me, exciting part is the entire AI machine learning that's taken into account for a lot of our advertising efforts. Those two uh, big buzzwords are actually the key proponent of what StackDev does as a company and what we founded our bases on. And it's turned into a really interesting area that, you know, you can make these quick decisions based on the artificial intelligence to be able to really take out the human element of the entire campaign process there, which kind of scares a few people. You know, a lot of campaign managers are scared their jobs are uh, gone. I think it's just really there to, you know, help supplement the, the human part of it as well, taking away some of the nitty gritty stuff they don't need to do, and they can people can rely much more on the strategic side of things and taking the data we have and then making conscious decisions about that. From there. So my favorite thing coming up here is definitely the AI machine learning and seeing what we can do with that, uh, and then personalization beyond just the first name. Understanding that you know a lot of times personalization, especially in email marketing, was just having someone's name in the email saying like. If you have the person's first name and email, they're going to respond better to your messaging. It's gone way beyond that now. We can analyze their entire behavior, understand you know, their propensity for them to actually purchase your product there. It's insane what people can do now. And a little scary at some points, but I'm excited to see um, how personalization evolves, especially in a privacy-compliant world. And where it actually will end up. You know, it really is exciting to see how our industry has adapted, and we must, or we we adapt and or die. Um, and adaptation mm-hmm. is a much better uh, result. Hey, you mentioned COVID uh, as well. We're, we're a couple thousand miles uh, south of you uh, here on the Gulf Coast. Um, tell me, uh, tell me how uh, how how things are uh, in Toronto and Canada in general with uh, with COVID. Seems in the news we don't hear much about about uh, what's going on uh, north of the, the border. How's it going with you guys? Yeah, we've actually been pretty fortunate. The government's done a good job. And to give you some uh, personal note, I actually uh, flew back from Vietnam probably in, in February. I was doing a trip to visit my sister out there, and we were flying back basically right when everything was shutting down a little bit. And uh, they closed down our uh, – they canceled our flight out of Shanghai because of the, the concern there. And uh, at that point, I was kind of like, oh, you know, I'm not too sure what's going on. So we just wanted to get home and luckily we were able to get a flight home there. But after that, things were just shut down and closed down. And I think they made a really good conscious decision 
to be able to, uh, you know, control the virus as best as possible. And we're still seeing a little bit of an uptick uh, these past few days because uh, we've opened up schools again and, uh, you know, it's been a little bit of an opening up scenario. But I feel like we've done a very good job and, uh, you know, I'm not entirely scared to go out grocery shopping anymore than I was two, three months ago um, because I feel like our government's done a pretty good job at handling that, uh, that the, the area there. So I think it's been a good experience. It's definitely you know, the word I say on every single sales call is it's unprecedented times. And at that point, it really is. Uh, travel budgets have been reallocated towards DIY budgets. And uh, a lot of people are now looking at cool ways to travel you know, and explore their own country. And a lot of our uh, team members have actually flown to Alberta um, within Canada and seen the beauty that is the Rocky Mountains and Banff and really had an opportunity to, to explore more of Canada. And I think that's a great opportunity for people. And I think everyone's just being more safe now and understanding that the uh, the disease is here to stay and, you know, we got to do our best to fight it and we come together as a community. Uh, it, it might sound a little kumbaya, but it, it allows us to make sure that you care about your neighbor and care about that person to make sure that they're, they feel just as safe as you do. Yeah. And wearing masks or doing a lot more of a, uh, you know, disinfection everywhere has led us to, you know, have a pretty good good impact there. So I know it's a kind of a long-winded explanation there, but at uh, the end of the day, we've, uh, I think we've done pretty well and, you know, still being safe and still trying our best to make sure we're not spreading anything. Uh, I think it's been a good, good uh, answer to the, this unprecedented experiment. It's good to hear. You know, this is obviously a, a, a horrible times uh, from a health perspective uh, for mm-hmm. so many, but also a change, uh, changing times for the way we behave, the way we interact, uh, the consumables in terms of social media and uh, things like that are probably off the uh, charts at this point in time because we are we are creatures of working online and such. Uh, but uh, staying safe and staying healthy is important. It sounds like you guys up there are doing a great job. So it's good to, well done, I should say. It's uh, well done. Uh, Jason, <laughs> well, Jason, sum up real quickly. We, we, this, the, the topic here was uh, going past CTR, uh, looking into metrics that make the most sense for performance. So let's wrap up our conversation here today with just a couple of thoughts to leave folks with as they move ahead, uh, marketing and in life. Yeah, absolutely. And I really appreciate this conversation today, Ray. It's been a great one. I, I can talk about this topic for hours and hours on end. Uh, 43 minutes have gone by without with the blink of an eye. So, uh, you know, I think it's a testament to how you can handle this. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Talk about CTR and, you know, made a lot of sense 20 years ago. Uh, 20 years ago, or we can say 25 years ago, industry had pretty much no measurement and no attribution capabilities uh, back in the day, really. You couldn't see beyond just the click. You knew someone saw your ad, you knew someone clicked on your ad, and that was really it. But we've evolved since then, right? Mm-hmm. It had an important purpose back in the day. You couldn't really measure how your consumer actually went down the funnel and helped increase your brand awareness or your brand lift there. So you could use that CTR as that directionally successful metric. But now we've evolved, and we have so many different stats and so many different uh, metrics out there we can look at to actually see if that had an impact there. You know, the the one thing to understand, I feel, with CTR is that, you know, it's not a broken metric in its extent. It's really just a percentage of saying, 
here's how many people saw your ad, and here's how many people actually clicked on it. So you now have a little bit of an audience base who's actually engaged their content. But looking past that is really the most important thing there. Stuff like engaged time, time spent on site, amount of pages they went through on your site, the overall uh, engagement of that user. Were they you know, looking at products? Were they looking at your brand page? Were they looking at certain things there? How many other advertising efforts do they see before they even clicked? We have all these tools available now to answer those questions and then build a persona or an audience base of who we actually want to target and who's going to be successful for a company there. But one thing to understand, um, I say, rather than relying on that single metric and saying that this is the reason for performance, uh, I always want to make sure that clients have an alternative in mind. I ask them, tell me your marketing goals, and I'll tell you which marketing metrics to focus on. So if your entire goal is to just get your name out there, your brand new product or service in a saturated market there, and you want to get your name out there, we can do stuff on our side to make your brand name as well known as the top competitor there. If you just want conversions, if you want people to actually buy your product there, it's a completely different strategy than the brand one I just mentioned before there. And that goes on for engagements, uh, lead forms, purchases, uh, whatever it might be. Anything that really matters at the end of the day is what I can spend my time on and what I'm going to tell you to spend your time on and here are the metrics to focus on there. Brandlift, there's a lot of cool brandlift studies you can do out there nowadays, whether that be through a verified provider like Nielsen or Comscore or even just through Stack It Up itself, we can make that work. If it's conversions, we can pixel your site and tell you exactly who purchased on what device, at what time, and even what promo code they used. With engagement, we can track that as well with our pixel solution. So any single potential KPI, we have an answer for, and we can tell you exactly what to focus on there. So... If I want to sum up everything I said today, don't rely on a single metric, but look at your marketing goals as a whole, understand what you actually want and what you want your users to do, and then look at the availability of metrics available to you and start from there. And you can lead yourself into a really wonderful campaign and be able to tell a much better story about what you spend your money on and what that result actually was there. Perfectly put. And a fresh approach. Thank you so much for that, Jason. Uh, based in Toronto, but serving a, a global audience as well, Jason is account director for Stack Adapt, instrumental in the process of client relationships, campaign strategies, and many others in relationship to uh, programmatic advertising. You can find out more at stackadapt.com. That's stackadapt.com. Hey, Jason, this has been fun. Thanks for spending uh, 47 minutes and 30 seconds with me. Thank you. It was a good thing, huh? <laughs> yeah, Ray, I really appreciate the time, and thanks again for uh, the conversation today. And you've been listening to a podcast from the American Advertising Federation District 10. You can find out more at aaf10.org. That's aaf, the number 10.org. Subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, or wherever your favorite podcast platform is. We are there. Do that, and you will never miss a new podcast. Also, your rating on iTunes will help us grow. And don't be afraid to share what you've heard today on social media. Until next time, thank you for listening. This is Ed Tension, copyright 2020. I'm Ray Shillings. <laughs>